just super excited. Uh, I just came back from a, a men's retreat in Carlsbad. Uh, it's known as a, a closer walk. It's a three-day retreat that involves, uh, in this case, there were 28 men. Most of them did not grow up uh, with a, a, a church background. Many of them actually came from prisons, from addictions, from brokenness, from abuse. And we just shared the gospel with them. And I'm telling you, there is just, there is, I, I, Luke says that I say to you, there's more joy in heaven. Jesus says, Luke records, I say to you, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents. And to watch these people let go of some anger and some guilt and some addictions is just overwhelming. And so, um, I'll be honest with you, when, when Tim was leading, you're a good, good father. Like, I just could not help but just, just want to openly weep at thinking that's the kind of God we have, that's the kind of father that we have. And so I don't know what's going to happen. We may go for an hour and a half. I don't know. But at least the good thing is it's warm in here, it's cold outside, so maybe you don't feel like you need to run out of here so quickly. And if you do, that's okay. That's between you and the Lord. Okay, so let's start off real quickly with a kind of a little bit of a game just to get you awake and make sure you're alert. We're going to play thumbs up or thumbs down. You don't have to participate, but I sure wish that you would. This is going to be thumbs up means you're excited, you eagerly anticipate uh, what, what we're talking about, or thumbs down is, oh, I don't know, I don't, I, I'm a little nervous, maybe I dread that, maybe I'm anxious in a negative way about that. And so we're going to do this first one right here. Here we go, this is an easy one. Monday morning, thumbs up or thumbs down? Okay, Ralph gave us a thumbs up, way to go Ralph. Okay, so most of you are thumbs down. Now, if you're a teacher, you should be given a thumbs up because tomorrow is Monday morning and you don't have school. So you get a much deserved break. So uh, thumbs up to you. Okay, Jessica, Jennifer, all you others. I know you're thinking I, I get to sleep in just a little bit. Molly, y'all get tomorrow off? So you should. There, there better be a thumbs up there. Now, how about this one? Friday afternoons. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Do we have anybody who has a thumbs down on Friday? No, we're all excited. Why are you excited? Why do you have a thumbs up on Friday? So you can come to, you're only a couple days away from church on Sunday. That's awesome. Okay. Any, anybody else excited for Fridays? You love Fridays. I love Fridays. I, I know this is weird. I love Wednesday nights. I love Wednesday nights because we've just gotten out of class my day off is Thursday because Sunday, the really the one day that I have to work, um, is, is kind of a busy day. So I get Thursdays instead of Sundays off, right? And so I love Wednesday nights. I get to kind of relax and then Friday go into the office and knock some things out and then get to spend time with the family on Saturday and, and then Sunday come, Sunday's coming. Okay, how about this one? April 15th. Does anybody have, no one has a thumbs up for April 15th. Oh, John does. John, John likes April 15th. Okay, most of us, tax day, you know, we're not really looking forward to that. How about this one? May 26th. Okay, see, now look, like, the, the people who immediately, like, they almost, like, tore out their shoulder getting their thumb up fast enough, okay, that's because they're teachers. And May 26th, it's your what? 
it's your granddaughter's birthday, and it is the last day of school. And it's your birthday. Happy birthday to you. And it's your anniversary. So there's a lot of reasons to celebrate uh, May 26th, right? Okay, how about this one? December 25th. Be honest. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay, I, I, I mean, you may not want to answer this, I, but I didn't, does anybody have a thumbs down? Maybe if you had a thumbs down, you thought, I'm just not going to raise my hand. Listen, it's a legitimate reason for some of you when you hear December 25th to have a thumbs down. I mean, December 25th, it's Christmas. It's the time where we get together and we celebrate. But for some people, you're not getting together, and so it's a little harder to celebrate. And while as, as a church we want to be a people who celebrate, we also recognize that there are times to grieve. And the Bible talks about that. Uh, you know what? Honestly... Christmas was, was never my favorite holiday. I grew up in ultimately what turned out to be a broken home by my early teens. And so Christmas was about getting shuffled around from place to place. And how many hours were you at this one? At least in my mind, how, many, how much time did I spend with mom and how much time did I spend with dad? You know, and it was just, it was kind of a tough time for me. And it was a real sad time because, you know, my early years, I, it was all the family. And then after that, it was going back and forth. And it was kind of a tough deal for me for those of you who will be having christmas without the one that you love it's going to be a hard day and so i just i want you to know that that we love you and that that god understands that that there's reasons to grieve um, even on those days where other people are celebrating okay just one more how about this one? Get ready. I really want you to participate in this one. Just do what you first. Don't do it because I, you're in a church building. I want you to be totally honest with this one. I can't give you a date, but I can give you an event. Jesus' second coming. Thumbs up or thumbs down. I mean, I think because we're in a church building, kind of like the last one, some of you might be, you might be a little afraid, hesitant, say thumbs down. But I bet if you really kind of sat down with some of our folks here and you said, okay, Jesus is coming back, what do you say? You might be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I want him to come back, but, but what's the real problem? I, I don't know if I'm ready. Is he coming back for me? And I think so many people in here wrestle with that. You want to be like, yes, Jesus is coming. Oh no, I don't know. I'm really worried about this. This preposition that we're talking about today, that, that God is near, is quite possibly the most confusing, misinformed, divisive, talked about subject in religious circles right now. And, and the odd thing is that instead of focusing on the one thing that we do know, we have spent countless hours expanding and proliferating on all the details that we don't know. The, the big word I love to say, eschatology, which is basically just the study of end times, has filled books and minds and sermons and airwaves. The book of Daniel and current events and the book of Revelation and all the people longing to be prophets have collided together and we are left with a big jumbled mess. And I don't know if you've noticed the uptick 
But there are lots and lots of people who love talking about and discussing and prophesying about the end times. And we can thank uh, uh, LaHaye and Jenkins, uh, the two guys who wrote the, the, the uh, fictional books about the, the end times of Jesus, right? The Left Behind series. Now, it is, I'm going to say it is, um, uh, it is fiction based on fact. But they are filling in a lot of details. I've read them. I don't think it's sinful to read them. I actually think that it was healthy for me to read them because I read them. It gave me an anxiousness for the fact that Jesus will return. Now, the problem is, is that we're kind of getting a little bit caught up. And, and this may not include this particular congregation. And, and maybe this is my fault. But you step out and you have lots and lots of pastors and preachers and people on the TV and co-workers. They're sitting around and they're talking about the Antichrist and the Mark and all these things, all these signs that are pointing to when it's going to happen. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to try to be nice, but not entirely nice. I want you to know this. If people are telling you that they know when it's going to happen, based on the signs, maybe they think that Obama was a part of it, or Russia, or Chernobyl, Wormwood, and they have all these things. Oh, this is the point that this is the end times. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. I just want you to say this. I want to say this, okay? And I don't mean this. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but I, I'm going to when I say this. If somebody tells you, I know it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, they are ignorant, they are arrogant, and I will dare say they are blasphemous. And I'm going to base it all on one passage that comes from Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. It's in red. Jesus says, about the day and the hour, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Only the Father. And I know I'm getting a little excited. I know you're like, i got to turn down that here, Nate. He's yelling just a little bit. I just want you to know. It just bothers me a lot when people say, this is when it's going to happen. This is when it's going to happen. What they're really saying is, God is telling me things that He won't tell Jesus. And that really bothers me. I think that is a little arrogant to say that God is telling me when it's going to happen, but He won't tell Jesus. And that's kind of putting himself in a place higher than Jesus. So it bothers me a little bit. Now some of you say, I like talking about this stuff. I like studying about this. That's great. That's good. I mean, people can spend their time being on Facebook. They can spend their time on fly fishing. If you want to spend your time like learning about these end times, like it can be interesting. Just understand this. It's not going to be fruitful. It's not going to lead you to, well, this is when he's coming. But this is the one thing we do know. And this is why I love people who talk about end times. Because we all agree on one thing. Jesus is coming. That is what is really, really important. This weekend I mentioned I was at a retreat. And it included pastors, ministers, and preachers from multiple churches. And I asked them about this subject, and there were as many opinions as there were people that I asked. That is no surprise. But my question was not so much as, what do you believe about the second coming? But the one that I wrestle with 
is how do you eagerly anticipate his arrival without being anxious, overwhelmed, and obsessed as to when he's coming? I want you to know that Jesus is coming, but this is me personally. Anytime I start talking about Jesus is coming, what do you think the next question is? When do you think he's coming? And I think that's great to ask that question, but we're never going to find the answer. And if you get lost in that, if you lose where you are right now thinking about what's going to happen, then you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Now, if studying that drives you to a deeper relationship with God, then study away. But don't get lost in the when and forget the simple fact that he is coming. It is this question that has led me to avoid the topic altogether. I truly don't know how Jesus is going to return. And I certainly don't have a clue as to when. And for this reason, I've said multiple times when it comes to eschatological things, the, the, the study of end times, I literally say, I would just wave a white flag. I don't know. And because I don't know, and because I believe that I will never know until after it's too late. You know, a second later, I can say, look, it just happened. But beyond that, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I've, I've waved the white flag. However, I don't, I don't want to be unfaithful to you and the call to proclaim that God is going to return, that Jesus is coming back. And so today I proclaim that God is near Jesus goes out of his way to talk about this. The Gospels record over 40 parables of Jesus. Some of those parables teach about humility, some to encourage faith, and even others to command forgiveness. But get this, over half, nearly 60% of the parables of Jesus revolve around the themes of diligence and readiness. Don't, I don't want you to believe me. Do a study yourself. Go identify the parables of Jesus. It seems like there's about 41. You can kind of fudge on, you say, well, how, how can you not know? Well, sometimes he'll, he'll kind of make a statement. He's like, you know, I, um, he'll, he'll tell a little short sentence and you're like, well, is that technically a parable or not? But, but we'll stick with, there's about 41 of them. Go identify those and say, what is, what do you think, what is Jesus really trying to talk about? And the trick is, if you're going to do that, if you want to figure out what a parable is saying, what do you have to do? You have to get the context. You have to find out what's going on in all the stories around you. Okay? So, just real quickly, I want to go through some, just a few of them, super fast. And I want us to, to figure out, what is Jesus really saying? Right? What is he saying? Real quickly, though, I, I want to say this. Why... Why does Jesus talk about diligence and readiness? Well, it's very simple. Jesus is coming again. God is going to judge the living and the dead. And we need to be ready. Over and over again, Jesus reminds his followers, I'm coming back. And he says, don't be lazy. Don't be surprised. And don't be unprepared. 
So here's a few parables of Jesus. We'll start off with a simple one. We know this because we sing it when we're, we're in VBS. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Who's the wise man? Jesus even says this. The wise man is the one who hears my words and does what? And puts them into action. And the foolish man is the one who hears my words but doesn't obey me. He says, be diligent. Hear what I say, put it into action. How about the unjust steward? This is a parable that like really kind of confuses most of us, and if nothing else, it makes us really uncomfortable. This guy is lazy. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. His, his master realizes it, so basically he's going to come in and audit him and say, I'm going to find out what you've been doing with your time and, your, and, and my money. And, and so he realizes this. So he starts going to people who owe his master money and said, hey, you owe 800 bushels, quick, make it 400, let's make a deal, right? So he does this several different times. The master comes in, and you would expect and think that the master would be really upset, but what does he do? He commends him. And you're like, whoa, what's going on here? Why is Jesus telling a parable about, you know, uh, uh, an employee in, in cheating his employer? He's like, you he know he's, he's about to get sacked, but instead he goes out and, and is kind of weaselly with the money. And Jesus says, hey, think about this. That guy knew that his time was almost up and he was going to do everything he could prepare for the time after that job is over. And he says, followers, listen to me. Be like that guy, not that you're cheating, but use everything that you have so that at the end, you're prepared for something beyond that. Use everything that you have. How about the, the story of the talents? Master comes, he doles out talents, a, a, a large sum of money to several different people. He says, I'm going to go on a journey. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. This is really what's going on here. He goes off, some of them double their money. One guy, he goes and he digs a hole, he buries it. And, and when his master comes back, all the others, he says, look, I've, I've doubled the, what you've given me. This guy says, well, I knew you're a hard man, so I just, I just buried it. And he says, if you knew that I was a hard man, why didn't you do something? You could have done it. You could have put it in the bank and at least got interest, but instead you buried it in a hole and did nothing. What's the, what's the theme of that, that parable? Jesus is coming. He's coming back. Are y'all feeling a little... Raise your hand. I, don't, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I'll do it for me. I'll ask myself, Doug, does listening to these parables make you uneasy and uncomfortable and a little scared? I'll say that. You know, if you want to say that too, that's okay. Bless your heart. I, I don't mean to point this out, but I saw Ida Brown raise her hand. I mean, Ida Brown, you are, you are an angel. There's a place in heaven reserved for you that I hope I get to see from down at the very bottom of the hill. But if, if Ida Brown, the most wonderful and lovely lady and, and godly person, if she can say, I'm a little nervous about Jesus coming back. I think a lot of us are nervous about that. I do actually have some good news, but, but not that. I'll, I'll go quickly if I can. Okay, the, the rich fool. He's got a lot of wheat. He says, I'm going to build bigger barns. I can put it in, and then I can just hang out, and I can love the rest of my life. It's going to be awesome. And God says, nope, your time is up. Right? How about the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man was obviously, what, what was he? 
A rich man. Thank you. I guess you guys are sharp this morning. The Lazarus was a poor man. He had sores. You know, he laid at the beggars uh, as a beggar at the rich man's gate. Never got nothing. They both die. They end up in eternity. And and the revolt the, the roles reverse. And the rich man is in hell in anguish. And Lazarus is up in heaven. There's a conversation with him with uh, them and Abraham. And uh, the rich man says, "Hey, send down Lazarus." You know, uh, to, to give me just a drop of water to cool my tongue in this place of hell. And Abraham says, nope, that can't happen. And then he says, well, at least do this. Send Lazarus to my brothers and warn them. And then, then we have this amazing prophetic statement where he says, even if someone came back from the dead, they still wouldn't believe. But that, that whole, that is not... That parable is not about Jesus saying, let's talk about what heaven and hell are going to be like. It was really about what he was saying was, don't miss out on any opportunity. Make the most of it. Be diligent. Be ready. The wise and foolish build, uh, the wise and foolish virgins, we know about that. The, the lamps and not having enough oil. The sheep and the goats, we love to go to this one, Matthew 25. You know, when they uh, when uh, Jesus come and he says, come unto me, you know, and they say, and he says, you know, because I was sick uh, and you took care of me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Right. And they say, when did we see you like this? And what did he say? Whatever you did for one of the least of these you did for me. Right. Like, use your life, use your resources, use your time to reach out to people. It's over. This is just a few. There's 24 of them. I shot through, a little slower than I wanted to, but I shot through about seven or eight of those. There's so many more that Jesus says over and over again, be ready. The invitation to the banquet, this one in Matthew 22, is crazy. Read Matthew 22. It will just be like, oh my goodness. This man has this, this uh, big uh, wedding. He invites people out. He sends out some messengers. The, some of the people take the messengers and they kill him. He gets mad. There's basically a war that started over this great banquet. And then finally he, he goes out and he gets people to come to the banquet. And you think, okay, these people got invited. And then you get this really scary part at the end where this guy's going to go in, but he's not, he's not dressed. He's not, he's not dressed appropriately. And the guy says, get out of here. And you're like, whoa, like, am I that guy? Like, it's, kind of, it's a little, little, it's, it's way scary. And so I want to go back to where we started this morning. Does the coming of Jesus, does that bring you anxiety or does it bring you peace? If you knew that Jesus was coming in 30 seconds, would you be filled with hope or fear? Does the return of Jesus leave you giddy like a child on Christmas or panicked like a parent in an emergency waiting room? What do you think? Are you expecting good news or bad? And I just want to say this. The absolute single most important factor in understanding where you are Salvation-wise, 
is this. is who God is and how much He loves you. And that's why I was singing that song with Tim and I was just crying. Because I still wrestle every day with guilt and shame for what I've done and what I haven't done. And the thought of Jesus returning can just cause my legs to tremble and shake in fear and unworthiness. But then I get to sing and say, you are a, a good, good father. And I am loved by you. You all know that I have three kids. My oldest one, Wyatt, uh, is about to turn 20. Um, Lily is 16. She's driving. Please pray for me. Um, she's a great driver, but just watching your, your, your daughter head out is it's a scary thing. And then we have um, Gracie, who's, who's 10 and a half. Sorry, I don't want to cheat you. She, you know, in the spring, she'll be 11. She's excited about that. Um, but I'll tell you what. Um, Wyatt has helped me out a lot around the house, um, uh, especially when he was here. Not so much now that he's gone, but when he was here, like, he would help mow. I mean, we'd get the thing, I, he would mow and I would edge. Man, that made things so much better. When I would, you know, have heavy stuff that needed to be lifted, he would do all that stuff. Um, and man, I love him. I love it. When he left, like, th there was a lot of times that I was just really sad. But man, when I'd get out to go get that lawnmower and realize I had to mow the whole lawn by myself, that made me super sad. And so I really love Wyatt. In fact, I think I love Wyatt more than my other two. Because he mows the lawn. I think I do. Now, Lily, she doesn't mow the lawn. But she is helpful around the house. When, when we need to, to run to the grocery store, she always volunteers. She always volunteers. I'll go do it, Dad. I'll go do I'll go because she loves to drive. And so for that reason, I have to say that she gets second place. I love her second most because she does more. Now, Gracie, she doesn't drive, she doesn't mow the lawn, she's really good at taking out the trash, and she makes me smile, and I love her, but obviously, I can't love her as much because she doesn't mow the lawn. Gracie, if you mowed the lawn, I would love you more, right? Do you believe that? Does anybody in here believe that I started loving Wyatt more when he started mowing the lawn? When Lily said, I'll go get food, I'll go run to Thriftway and go get some, a jar of mayonnaise, do you think that like it registered within me that, oh, I love her more now? Does any, is anybody here convinced that I love Gracie less because she doesn't mow or doesn't go pick up the mayonnaise at Thriftway? Gracie, I want you to look at me. I want you to know something because you didn't know I was going to say this. I want you to know this right now. There is absolutely nothing you can do that will make me and your mom love you any more than we all already do. There is no way. There is nothing you can do that will ever 
make us love you less. She's my daughter and I love her. I'll never stop loving her. You know that because you're parents and that's how you look at your kids. And they're not perfect and sometimes they don't make you proud. But you love them and you sacrifice for them and you want what's best for them. Why in the world would we sit here as parents and say we would love and do anything to help our kids and then somehow think that God wouldn't do the same for us? Jesus says, look at you. If your son comes and asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? If they ask for a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone? And he basically says this, you who are terrible parents would do that. How much more will God do for you? And so I just want you to know this. When somebody says Jesus is coming, I want you with all of your heart and your soul and your mind, I want you to rejoice and say, yes, he's coming for me because he's a good father and he loves me. And I'm his child. And that's who I am. And so this morning, I want you to be thinking about who God is. Next week, we're going to look at the preposition that God is for. But your homework for this week, and it could take a while, but come on, let's not kid ourselves. You, you have the whole week off, right? Well, if you're a teacher or a student or retired. <laughs> Here's your homework. Listing as many ways as you can to answer the question, how do I know that God loves me? Start with his son and his sacrifice. Think about the fact that he has placed you in a world that his creation aside from humans, his creation is obedient to his voice. The sun rises and sets. He surrounds you with beauty. And he makes promises that even as your body is falling apart, he says, don't worry, I've got a new one and it is better and you're never going to have to have another knee surgery again. You're never going to have to deal with back pains or headaches. I want you to list as many ways as you can as to why you believe God loves you. And don't forget, it's because he's a good, good father. If you take this seriously, it might lead you to be a little bit more confident in who you are. And it might make you a little more humble. Or at least humbled in the fact that he would do all these things for you. It might lead you to be more at peace. Because of the confidence that you have in the God that he is. And this week, it just might make you a little more thankful for who he is. And so this week, I want you to think about how has God loved me? and reminded me that I'm his. Please join me this morning as we stand.